this means that maybe in the near future we might see these robots as well in Germany or all around the world. And once again, I would like to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, the almighty NFT. Musk is talking about taking the company private. Musk is still talking about free speech and therefore no ads. YouTube is really successful with YouTube Shorts. 30 billion views a day. They talk about 100,000 satellites or more, which is huge compared to Starlink was talking about, I think, 40,000. They catch the falling rocket with a helicopter. Hi and welcome to episode 24 of the Tech Review. Every two weeks we gather to discuss the hottest topics in science, technology and innovation. And on camera 3 today we have Vincent, on camera 2 we have Enrique and on camera 1 this is me. Hi, I'm Tarek. Chris is missing today. This is very, very sad because usually I, I think he's usually always here, right? Yeah. Did he ever miss one tech review? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's really been a while since we had to uh, skip him yeah, in the introduction. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's dive right into the news. Um, and Oh, I did not reload. Where is it? So who's going to start today? It's me. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I mean, we are only three people, so chances were good that I'm going to start. Exactly. So uh, my first article is about cool robots. Oh, okay. Ah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, now I have... Okay, there we go. Okay, right. So cool robots. This article um, I like very much because um, I'm not sure if you're aware of these Gundam robots from the Japanese enemies. Uh, they kind of look like this. Um, and if you take a look right now at uh, some construction works in Japan, you might see these robots because they are used there for, uh, construct uh, for, for maintenance of power lines on the railway system. Um, and it's basically a very simple concept. They built these robots for dangerous work where they say we need to increase productivity and safety of our workers and so they created these robots and very very cool um styling and their their head looks a little bit like wally from from the disney movie yeah. oh yeah and it's, it's very sweet <laughs> the the cool thing is that the operator of this robot wears a, a vr headset and he moves uh, with these hand controllers the arms and the the hands of this robot and it's mounted on a crane um, and so this uh, is a very, very cool example with what you can do with robotics and VR today. And I think the arms are even force feedback supported. So um, the controller actually feels the weight and the resistance of the material that he's uh, grabbing and moving around. And so it is kind of like, let's say, immersive technology. That's sad that we don't have Chris with us today because uh, he would probably <laughs> cheer for that. Um, it's still a prototype. Um, they are testing it right now in Japan and they plan to roll out this kind of robot in 2024, I think I read. And um, this means that maybe in the near future we might see these robots as well um, in Germany or let's say all around the world. Um, and I said Gundam because uh, this, this Japanese anime, it, it looks kind of this robot like, with, with this robot suit and everything. And of course, a little different hat. Uh, but this is exactly what you would expect from Japanese robots. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, actually, maybe more crazy colors. Right. <laughs> yeah. But actually seeing this, like my first thought is, okay, why 
haven't we done this earlier? I mean, this totally makes sense to to make use of this for these kind of work, but also like in general, like of course, yeah, it, it looks like it's from a movie, but like why actually? It's it, yeah, it's actually so obvious. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think so too. I mean, we already do this with um, like bomb disposals. Like the police and military, mm. they have robots to clear minefields and dispose uh, bombs. This is obvious. But there are so many different dangerous kinds of works um, that, uh, that that need to be handled. And probably these robots are simply expensive. And so on the standard mm. construction side, they won't bring in these very expensive robots but if technology gets a little bit more cheaper and robots become more and more standardized tech and especially now with the with the emergence of vr technology and maybe force feedback uh, servos or something like that um, it might be something that we see every day I, i'm not sure i think you didn't see westworld right I think I asked no. last time. Because Still not. In, in Still season two yeah, yeah. Westworld, they have robots like this as well. They look a little bit different, but the idea was the same thing, that people who are working on construction sites, they use these like avatar-style robots. Uh, they walk around and lift heavy things, and the controller uh, steers them with like brain implants or something like that. So um, the, the people who are working on the construction sites are basically robot operators um, so that they can lift steel rods and, and stuff yeah but it i was really happy to read this article because as, as you said uh, henrike it looks so obvious why didn't we do it earlier it seems that dangerous uh dangerous work is the key here because um i was also i also wanted to mention bomb disposal stuff like that i think we also have this kind of um control of robots in the military when it comes to drones i think that drones are also steered with vr headsets now yeah. and uh, controllers like with uh, specific feedbacks for uh, the different control different controls so um yeah maybe um we should you know call more work dangerous uh, maybe not only short term, but also very long term kind of yeah but no i mean i'm for real i'm not joking uh, yes short-term work like bomb disposal or working with high voltage energy this right. is dangerous very short term but now think of stuff that like let's let's talk about natural resources that we're mining for example talking about mines and stuff like that this is really really dangerous work in long term because it's really bad yeah. for your body so like i mean inhaling the stuff there yes. for your back stuff like that so let's think about these things and think like okay well this is really dangerous maybe a long-term investment such as robots would really help there and then maybe we get somewhere who knows right right yeah. and also like bringing in the cost aspect right i mean on the one hand yeah. you have the cost for technology on the other hand you have the cost of like the health of the of the people life. and if something happens <laughs> yeah. life yeah I mean, this is an aspect that, you know, comes into play. Yeah, and that's probably um, like a sad reality because if you ask how much a human life is worth, usually you say, yeah, you, ca you can't measure it. A human life is, is can't be measured in, in money. But if you take a look at these robots, there is probably a price tag where people say, yeah, my human labor is still cheaper than actually buying this very expensive robot. And somewhere you find the price tag when it starts reaching the value yeah. of a human life. Sad but true. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a whole different discussion, but with the potential return of nuclear energy now as a bridge <laughs> energy until we have uh, renewable stuff, uh, maybe robots will play a bigger role. I mean, looking at handling the uh, radioactive materials, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Who knows? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, uh, I remember, didn't we talk like two tech reviews ago about uh, fusion power? the new emergent of yeah. uh, fusion power that is now possible because we have AI controlling this um, this plasma flow system. Yeah, this becomes feasible as well. And yeah, but, but as I said, uh, bridge technology, nuclear te technology, yeah, sad but true. <laughs> okay, let's check if my browser now allows me to s jump to the next article, which comes from Vincent. Oh, yeah. Which one is it? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So this article, basically, Henrike has the same one, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this article is about Twitter uh, being bought by Elon Musk, as we all know, or in on its way, on its path to be bought by Elon Musk, if, uh, if approved. Um, and the big question behind it is, like, how are they going to make money? I mean, Musk is talking about taking the company private. Musk is talking about free speech and therefore no ads because ads and brand safety, of course, control what's being said on a specific platform. And this article deals with all the different things. And if you can scroll down, I think there are six options from taking the company private so that there is not that kind of investor push on we need more revenue. Uh, which therefore would come into play when it, uh, you know, when we're talking about how much money Twitter has to make in order to be attractive for investors. Also, um, it is the there is the idea of not advertising as some kind of cost reduction because, of course, a lot of people work at Twitter due to the fact that there has to be tech, sales, management of advertising, and all of that will, you know go away so if you want to phrase it frame it in the hard way it's well layoffs uh and that of course also will come to okay how much money is twitter actually making twitter also so this article really looks at all the different features of twitter the third one is that twitter could also increase subscriptions so uh right now you have ultra subscriptions for like people who really want to know more about their creator but this idea is that everybody who has this check mark of being a real person could pay for that also everybody who uses twitter could also pay for that the question then of course arises is this also not a problem with free speech but uh well that that is another aspect and then i think um there's also the idea of if you scroll down um a bit more uh sorry it's uh, there are too many yeah, right. And then we could also talk about like, since Twitter is so much embedded into different articles of different websites, et cetera, et cetera, you could also charge third parties to embed Twitter. And uh, yeah, that actually is one of the main ideas that Musk already mentioned himself. So this is something people are right now looking at as probably some of some kind of go-to. And this also would, all, would fall into place in order with free speech because as we all know from the Leistungsschutzrecht here at Axel Springer um, that if you have something you own something as a platform um, and it is used somewhere else to let's say make a point uh, well you probably should pay for that and this idea is really coming along with this because well uh, Twitter owns 
content on its platform. And if you want to use it, well, why not pay for it? And this could be something that could replace ads. However, last sentence, ads right now make 98% of Twitter's revenue at the moment. So yeah, it is still, it's a leap. It's a stretch to replace that. It's yeah. a really interesting article. Crazy, because I, I, I was not sure what Elon Musk is going to change now that he's taken over control of Twitter. And my first impulse was, yeah, he, he was kind of pissed uh, what happened and he, he's just doing this for, for his ego or something. But then I, I learned that he was replacing the board and he was so fast in doing executive ex decisions and changing things that, that I was really surprised. And now that he's going, I, I mean, he, he's, he won't be like the CEO, but the main st shareholder. And so I'm really curious to see if he changes the company in terms of profitability or if he says, okay, let's let's not go right into profitability. Let's make it like a cost center, but make it awesome. Bring out great features and invest and build new Twitter-based technologies. But I'm not sure. Yeah, and as you said, if, if you now introduce new, let's call it money-grabbing profitability things... Um, I'm not sure in which direction the face of Twitter will actually devolve, um, evolve. And in, in the past, I already had this, um, this experience where I wanted to take advantage of the Twitter API for programmatic um, processing of tweets. And they already are kind of expensive the moment you use it for something else than posting tweets. So if, if you are as a company want to utilize Twitter API, you have to pay every month like thousands of euros. So it's, it's not cheap to actually do business with Twitter. Um, I think so. But this is, I think, the kind of solutions that Twitter will will go to, because as you said, I th also thought, well, it's an ego thing, but it really like everybody is capitalizing right now on this free speech aspect. Yeah. And therefore, I think they will do anything possible. Twitter will do anything possible to really focus on free speech and making Twitter a pay to play platform or make Twitter a partially freemium platform would really contradict this this idea of Twitter moving more into the direction of free speech uh, or freer speech. I mean, <laughs> This is a whole other discussion. Um, and therefore, I think Twitter will do exactly that. So I think who will, the, the people, I think the party which loses the most is the B2B part mm. of, of the Twitter relations. I think that's the, that's the place where really Twitter will try to earn more money. Elon Musk is always generating news, whatever he is touching, <laughs> either by implanting brain implants or flying to Mars or, I don't know, spontaneously buy one of the most influential companies on this planet, planet right? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I'm glad you brought this article with you because I didn't. <laughs> But I just, uh, I think, Tarek, we talked about it last week or something. I was like, Too bad our next tech review is a is a week from now, and yeah. that's when it was you know announced that he's uh, able to buy it. Um, but yeah, then also like, who knows what will be the news in a week from now? Like what he bought then? If right. it's still like Twitter, or is it like <laughs> something completely 
different so yeah um yeah it's it's interesting to follow along how this evolves now and also some of the aspects in in this article like if like if i read like this charging for tweed embeds like do, will they websites continue using it i mean they probably then just stop using it you can quote like refer to twitter you do not need to embed the tweet necessarily if you know yeah. so this i don't know if like I mean, some of them really then uh will continue or if people just you know like you know go away from from twitter in that sense mm. i i mean so i think that is 100 percent true i mean uh, what he does is not only a controversy but I think what we do with Elon Musk is that we highlight a lot of the stuff he's doing, but the effects of this also, especially negative effect, we don't highlight. So for example, to in order to buy Twitter, he had to sell, I think, $4 billion shares in the worth of $4 billion for Tesla. And that actually turned out to make the company uh, lose a lot of money at the stock market after he did that because a lot of investors were pissed about this. Yeah. And I think it actually Tesla lost worth uh, equal to the whole company of Mercedes. So um, it was quite a bump. And I think um, it's the same here. I think that the consequence of, for example, not like making people charge for Twitter embeds will definitely have its effect on the way we communicate in the new sector. And Henrika, I agree with you. If I were a journalist and I would have to pay now for all the embeds, I'd either try to negotiate something that works out or I would just stop using this. Yeah, it might cause another ripple effect uh, on the market because for, for so long, Twitter was the only real place for microblogging because everyone was using Twitter and especially with all the politicians and influencers who really pushed Twitter to be a major communications platform, there was no re not really room for anyone else entering it. And you had like Telegram or WhatsApp for personal communication or Facebook for social media, but microblogging, I call it microblogging, it might be a very old term, was always Twitter. And Maybe now, as as you said, the time is over and new players smell like blood and say, okay, now that people might actually leave Twitter, there's room to conquer this market with alternative platforms. Yeah, or may maybe it's it's actually Facebook or the others who say, okay, maybe we now introduce some kind of microblogging, uh, high-performance small message feature uh, with, with public feeds or so that could kill Twitter because as with Clubhouse, if you have this one particular feature that is not unique anymore for this particular platform, you might kill it. Fun fact, Twitter tried to buy Clubhouse, I think also for $4 billion uh, last year and they, they failed. They were not able to take over. And so maybe now Twitter is dying for, for sure. <laughs> and They uh, they launched, I think, just a few months ago, their Clubhouse feature. So yeah. it took like a full year to do this or longer, actually. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn, for example, they start doing this, started uh, also developing one of these Clubhouse features. And then they stopped because they didn't seem uh, they didn't feel it's necessary anymore. Yeah. So people don't use it. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody cares. The the yeah. public relationship um, department of Clubhouse, they are still reporting that 
the registration line for new users on Clubhouse is still 10 million users long. Um, so they removed this invite-only feature. It's, it's not a topic for today, actually, on the roadmap, but since we are talking about Clubhouse, um, they removed this um, register, this invite-only mechanism, and everyone can now register, but um, they are still bottlenecked. They can't register everyone at all and uh, at the same time, and so they created this waiting queue, and there are like 10 million people still in this waiting queue, and so it looks like it's a very desirable platform, but I agree, I don't hear from anyone actually using Clubhouse for anything. So I'm not sure how successful they actually the, are. The question is, can you remove yourself from the waiting list once you're on yeah. there? Because you cannot really log out out of Clubhouse right. once you logged in. Like, yeah. <laughs> so maybe those people are actually not interested anymore, but still in the in the queue. Yeah, I guess exactly this thing. Uh, people entered their email address and so Clubhouse is proud of their waiting list, but nobody can leave. Yeah. And the hype will be over the moment the waiting list is out. Next article, I bet it's for Henrike. Yes. Ah, okay. What a surprise. Which one is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I brought some two space-related articles today. Um, First one being about yet another satellite mega constellation, but one that claims to be sustainable, which I found quite funny. I mean, besides OneWeb and uh, Starlink, now I think it's called eSpace um, is working on a satellite network, also in low Earth orbit. What I found astonishing is that they talk about 100,000 satellites or more which is huge compared to um, Starlink was talking about, I think, 40,000 um, satellites in total. One web is below 1,000. But like they, they now claim that this is going to be a sustainable one um, because they plan that these network, like the, the small um, satellites or spacecrafts being part of this network also capture space debris when before they deorbit when their lifetime is over. So on their way back, they would then capture some of the space junk that is floating around and take it with them back home, so to say. Um, so this is one aspect um, that, you know, makes it sustainable, uh, according to Greg Weiler. Um, but interestingly, they do not talk about how this is actually going to work at this point. They still say the whole technology behind is still uh, uh, protected and everything. Um, but yeah, this this should be the mechanism. But beyond that, they also say that the satellites will automatically deorbit themselves if they have like a mail function or something to reduce the risk of collides in their network um, if, if that happens. Um, and the funny thing in the end of this article was that he compared this whole system to oysters oysters in the river, river or uh, the ocean, they, the more oysters you have, the cleaner the water is because oysters clean the river. <laughs> he says like the cleaner, uh, the more satellites, the cleaner space, so yeah. to say, because it always brings down some of the debris. Um, yeah, this, this can be discussed whether this is like a fair comparison or not. But um, it, it's, it's quite interesting that you know, there's still a market for another huge space satellite system in low Earth orbit 
first of all. Um, and then also still, I mean, they include the discussion of, you know, we have to get rid of space debris. This is still an issue. But say, even though we now launch 100,000 more, we won't have that much more junk up there because we bring it back home with us, which, yeah, I don't know um, if they can achieve that in the end, but it's it's an interesting take, at least. Yeah, I think it's a necessary step because it, it really gets crowded up there and creates something like additional value for your satellites is important um, to keep society motivated to fire up more stuff because the more space junk you have up there the less um i guess the less safe are satellites or even manned spacecraft right and so i think this is the only way to go but as you said i really can't imagine how many more satellites we can place there i mean the sky is big but talking about 10,000 in this network and then 10,000 in the next network, and I guess there will be more services that require satellites, and so we will fire up more and more satellites up there. Who coordinates yeah. this? <laughs> I, have another, I, I have another question regarding this. Um, I, I thought the same about Starlink, mm. but my question more or less is, who decides that? I mean, yes, there are laws that work about like what can you put into the sky, but I mean, hundred thousand satellites that affects us all. Okay, uh, they take trash debris with them. They don't. They stay up there. They don't. I mean, I, I'm sure this this is another business uh, we haven't you know approached yet, but I'm I'm very sure there will be a startup that you, at one point catches debris and you know uh, and uh, and cleans the sky. But this is uh, something else. Yeah, I'm just thinking like who like somebody with the resources to develop a hundred thousand satellites and and shoot them into the sky like. If we decide this today, who do we approach? Is there anybody who's who can say like, well, that's maybe too much? Because I don't feel like there is. So people with enough resources, say billionaires who, I don't know, seem to have nothing else to do than shoot themselves into the sky. And uh, they could just put satellites up there and at just one weird night, I don't know, uh night uh a point at the night i look into the sky and see hundred thousand satellites lining themselves up to then you know go into their uh final destination it's weird but yeah uh who decides this where are the regulations it's, it's a good question i'm sure if we google it we find an answer to that but uh yeah it, it especially if you want to coordinate with Russia and China and India. I'm not sure yeah. if they are always open for some kind of US-based regulation, right? And first first would be probably NASA, who has a like overview about everything up there, but not everyone is reporting to NASA. And yeah. I mean, yeah, we saw that last year when Russia uh, shoot one of their satellites right. um, without noticing, you know, notifying anyone and yeah. just, you know produced more debris but also like with regards to this technology what i now think would be necessary in that case that 
like what happens if one of the satellites has to deorbit because of malfunction and on this way back down collides with others because there is already space junk around or will they still capture some of the space debris will this mechanism be somehow be like a double secured in order to ensure that this will happen nonetheless or or not like i mean that would be actually really an added value if they can make sure like no matter what happens if they're deorbit because their lifetime is over or if they have a male function and have to deorbit like this is like the most important priority that they will take down space junk which i bet it's not but that would be really necessary and especially because there's so many satellites then up there to yeah. really have an impact on you know cleaning uh the orbit but yeah Right, right. And Maybe I don't know, something else don't for our robots, <laughs> our robots to do. <laughs> the Gundam yeah. robots. Like yeah. 100%. I mean, how, how should a human do that? Yeah. Shoot them into space. Send Wally up there. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. But if I were uh, like a Hollywood producer and writing a, a movie about space catastrophes, there would be like this idea. If there are enough satellites up there, like really crowded and you have one incident one satellite explodes or something like that and this satellite creates debris and this debris collides with three other satellites who then again explode and create more debris you cause this avalanche of debris and everything gets destroyed because if you have this critical yeah. mass and things are so so close up there you have like this mass crash on, on the on the highway where because it's very crowded one accident leads to a thousand accidents and of course to be honest i have no idea how close these satellites are on this web we're talking about a hundred tons or millions of satellites but maybe they are still so far away from each other that it's it's totally hypothetical what what i'm talking right now um but the idea is if, if there are more and more the risk of having this cascade of accidents should increase at least mathematically I just I just remember in Wally there is the scene where they leave orbit and it they that this is exactly what's happening I I, I really concur, I really particularly rem, remember that scene where they leave the orbit and they shoot through all the dead satellites and it's yeah. just like this layer of satellites you cannot see the sky anymore right because there are too many satellites and they collide with each other so. Uh, I'm sure somebody already thought of this. And who knows? I mean, did you see the trailer for the Bus Lightning movie? No. Uh, who knows uh, what's happening there? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say the word on here, but it's effing amazing, uh, the trailer. You should check it out. I should put it in here. I, uh, next time I'm going to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's obviously targeted for adults. It's obviously, like, it's a, it's a kid's movie, yeah, but it's obviously targeted for us who... Yeah witnessed the rise of disney i just wanted exactly. to say uh, I, i love space thrillers and so i'm excited to see the buzz lightyear movie yeah actually i think i saw the trailer now that i think about it but still put it in here so we can watch it again <laughs> <laughs> okay let's jump to the next one and this is me again no surprise here after i fixed my randomizer algorithm uh, and once again <laughs> i would like to talk to you about our lord and savior the almighty nfts 
Um, and uh, let's say NFTs are dead, but long live the dynamic NFTs because there is now a new generation of NFTs, which is not that new because last year uh, the technology kind of exists. Um, but there's a new company called Revise, a startup um, who ju just collected $3.5 million dollars. Um, for their idea and they are creating now dynamic nfts or providing a platform for dynamic nfts and the idea is that usually if you buy like nft art it's it's a, an image an NFT, uh, like, like a jpeg or something like that and you can't really do a lot of this uh, with this but it is possible to create something like the smart contract as an nft that consumes external data for example uh, you have a football nft and this one reads the football statistics of the super bowl or something like that and whenever um your home team nft wins or like the game uh, the the, um, the team wins this nft gets like an automated boost and change color or something like that and this is hard-coded in the nft itself so this is immutable this uh, is still like this non-fungible token but the input data is read from dynamic sources like the weather forecast or maybe the numbers of views on this live stream yeah the moment we hit a thousand views the tech review nft then changes into status silver or something like that and the owner then can do something more with this um, and this idea is quite smart because this way the user actually gets something out of this NFT based on external um, uh, factors. And there was um, another company that was linked in this article where they said uh, this was from last year. Um, this was a social media um, collaboration platform. I, I forgot which one it was. Let, let me... Yeah, it doesn't matter. But they, they already started with this Oh yeah, Peerpop, right. It was Peerpop. They already started with this concept where they said um, if you buy an NFT for a video of your favorite influencer, then you can directly tap into the, the, the success of this influencer because if this video or this, this posting reaches a certain degree of popularity, it changes, for example, the status to uh, allow you access to a private Discord server with your favorite influencer or something like that and so you as an investor or as the buyer of this nft you feel like an investor you invested in this particular influencer or your movie star or whatever and this is a little bit different than simply owning a gif or something um, because you actually own a part of the success story of uh, this influencer the big pain that i have with this concept is that the quality of blockchain and nfts is that they are immutable they can't be changed that's why it is so valuable that's why we are using blockchain technology for that and the moment we now use nfts that have a direct dependency to dynamic input which comes from somewhere i could create a s3 bucket on aws and manipulate the data as i i see fit um, and this directly influences the state of my nft it kind of renders this concept ad absurdum because it's not immutable anymore because it's directly depending on dynamic data wherever it comes from even though the source code is immutable stored in the blockchain it's still not changeable but the the face of the nft the behavior is then steered by external influence and that's why i'm not sure if this is really a concept that will change the way we are interacting with nfts because it's kind of weird but on the other side 
I'm sure that this concept of buying a JPEG for a million dollars will disappear at some point because people lose fun with this game. I mean, you can also manipulate the dynamic in the in the other direction, right? Like, of course, that it's getting more popular and you reach like a certain status, silver or gold or whatever. But you can also probably <laughs> weigh down like if, if then the, I don't know, dislike on that video increases over the likes. And uh, I don't know, you, you can fall back as well. Sure. So then it's, yeah. Right, this can right. get manipulated as well. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, th this what is... I... Yeah, that's it. No, no, please. Yeah, no, I just want to say, um, this is, of course, part of the game. Uh, when I couple it with the success of my social media post, then, of course, if I go there and uh, click or, or I spread links uh, to make it more popular, this would be legal manipulation because I directly help my influencer getting more popular and this is kind of what i want as a influencer when i sell this nft but nobody controls what dependency i build in there as a developer and so maybe i do something like a universal uh, data source like the weather forecast at weather.com and i can't um, influence weather or i can't influence the weather report of weather.com but nobody hinders me to build something like my own data source where I say I have like this gaming server and the NFTs collect stats based on whatever. And if I don't like the stats, then I go to the server and I manipulate. And that's exactly the reason why people are using blockchains because this is not an option if we are using blockchain. I can't manipulate the blockchain. But now <laughs> that I can create my own server and my own data source, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. That's that, that's why I say it kind of defeats the purpose of the blockchain. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, two sectors will profit from this probably um, very much because I think it's super dangerous. Uh, Tyke, you're absolutely right. I mean, as long as nobody really knows, I mean, the code will be transparent, I think. But um, nobody, as long as nobody really knows what is influencing the status of the NFT you are holding. Uh, it's super dangerous, but I think two sectors will definitely profit from this. It's, one, it's sports betting, because obviously you buy an NFT, uh, somebody hits a goal or somebody wins a race, I don't know, and your NFT turns more valuable. Yes. And uh, especially where emotions are involved, if you own an NFT of a specific Formula One race where something specifically good happened, uh, well, this is super interesting. So I think that if somebody has an idea for a cool, like, you know, sport betting platform where this is, uh, you know, the, 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 the foundation to build up on, maybe now is the time to, you know, raise your hand and call us in for investors. But um, I think another, I think something else is much more interesting. And this is when it comes to investments, because of course you're interested that somebody, like, if you want somebody to invest, you're more or less interested in that this person holds their investment for a specific time. So now looking at NFTs as some kind of token key to get somewhere, like to get gain access to something, but also say you buy an NFT that is worth nothing, but if you invest a specific sum for long enough, it turns valuable. Yeah. You, I don't know, you know, or say we're talking about a 
so this is really deep now, but <laughs> imagine talking about a cryptocurrency that is still that still can be mined and this has an influence on the mining process or maybe it is not anymore. I think it's called at stake then, but I don't want to get into this, but say this is not mineable anymore, but this token you hold for a specific period then changes and is valuable in a specific cryptocurrency. This is super interesting. So I think if NFTs really are the future of investments or these kind of tokens in any kind of way, I think that this is super interesting for making people invest a specific sum longer um, or very particular on spe specific um, industries f to, you know, to get money in there to to hyper grow uh, specific industries because, well, they they get value out of it. Yeah. 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 So if no matter if in long term it will be uh, dominant, the, the the idea that you just had um, is probably true that something like sports betting gets a completely new dimension and gets very interesting. And maybe this is a good time to actually check out these new platforms because right now it's still very in this virgin state and uh, people are experimenting with this. So maybe we should quickly create something like sports bet, sport bets, NFTs. I mean, one football just became a unicorn and therefore I think that the sports market is hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Yeah, if, if you want to know more about it, check out Gründerszene. It's also on Boxerspringer. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah, <laughs> of course. Vincent, you're up next. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all about money this uh, today. I brought three articles all about uh, revenues and how to, to maximize them with technology. So YouTube is really successful with YouTube Shorts. 30 billion views a day. And that's why YouTube now is checking out ads. Um, the reason for that is a bit different than you might think. And this is the art the article tells you more about this, actually. So the idea of YouTube Shorts was there to, you know, evolve from this very linear kind of style platform into a more dynamic platform because we saw this change from long-term video to short-term video stories and then later TikTok, yada, yada, you know, all, all of this. The problem with YouTube is that YouTube and TikTok and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus, they're all not social media platforms. They're more or less entertainment platforms. So they all fight for more, for more screen time during entertainment. So if I want to check out my friends, you know, if I want to check out, I don't know, what Henrike what, what she did over the weekend, I go social media. But if I want to entertain myself, you know, I, I don't know, I'm cooking, I just want to sit on the couch, I go on entertainment. So YouTube tried to break out of this and do both, but they realized that shorts actually is happening in the already existing YouTube time. And because of that, they were losing or they are about to lose money in their ads sector because people are just switching over from linear YouTube videos of their favorite creators to checking out what people are doing on YouTube shorts. And because of that, well, they now have to do something to, you know, uh, keep the level of ad revenue or even grow it. And that's why they're now introducing ads. So and I thought this article is super interesting because, I mean, there's nothing interesting about ads 
coming to a platform because that's just how it is, except maybe for Netflix, but you know. Um, but um, I thought the reason is super interesting because, well, obviously it is because Netflix, uh, and, sorry, YouTube uh, realized that shorts were uh, approaching a different kind of audience they uh, they did before, or they were hoped they were hoping for. Yeah, that that's really interesting because from my understanding, I always thought that YouTube Shorts was a flop because when I looked into the stats and the traffic that um, is happening on TikTok in comparison to YouTube Shorts, I thought this was kind of dead and they were just doing it for. To, to keep up with the market and provide something in the short form format. But if you say that, um, that it really booms, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, comparing to TikTok, they're still smaller, <laughs> um, but they're bringing, uh, it's, they are bringing um, already existing audiences to the table. And because it is all mixed together and YouTube is very focused on creators and the connection between consumer and creator, yeah. um, they they are more successful than you might think. I, yeah. That's my take on this. I also think that in this article, there is this number, I think 40% of the people using YouTube Shorts did not have a YouTube account before or something like that. So uh, it is for YouTube really interesting because it generates new users and um, Therefore, even though the numbers are smaller compared to the big players like Reels or TikTok uh, feed, main feed, um, I think, um, yeah, it, it's still very attractive for YouTube. Plus, again, whatever they do there, even the, even if it is a non, not that successful part of the YouTube experience, it still leads to YouTube losing money on ads because people use YouTube Shorts now and some and for some time, and it's you know it's it's still happening in the YouTube time of the day if you want to call it that, and that's why now they have to do something to keep earning ad revenues. They has they have been projecting for 2022 in the past. Yeah, I mean because if, like now that we talk about it like i often get a lot of youtube shorts you know like from the algorithm into my youtube feed so that i actually watch quite a quite a lot of them as well um and actually probably more than uh normal youtube videos uh, at this point so yeah and, and people get used to these short formats full stop <laughs> yeah but if they start introduce um, advertising in the shorts, it might of course influence the popularity. Because what what I observed on Twitter, uh, sorry, on on TikTok, was that the the amount of advertising that they are putting in there, I feel it's getting more compared to the early days of TikTok, where you really were just swiping through it. Right now, there's a lot of advertising, and I, it's true. I did not see this on on YouTube so far. So maybe if they now start pushing that into it, it might uh, reduce the popularity. Yeah. yeah, because when I think about it, like on those regular YouTube videos, you have like the ad and you at a certain point you can skip it, but yeah. you have to wait a certain seconds, then you can skip it and then you know, okay, then I can watch the, the full video, hopefully, in yeah. most cases. But if you have this delay, 
and you know there's only like a short video coming like do i really wait until i can skip and watch this short video is that really worth the the time waiting in, in the first place yeah probably not I don't know. but that now is really based on the formats that youtube will create because i mean the TikTok ads for example Tarek, i i think you're absolutely right um TikTok ads are still on the rise i mean there are more and more advertisers going to TikTok anyways but so i think that this is you know growing uh connected to each other but um i also think that it really depends on the ads because henrike if they create an ad like like the ones we know from the linear formats just to show us a short that we might like or might not because we cannot control what kind of content we'll, we're getting yeah with the linear stuff i know exactly i'm getting a lore video about fallout 4 and that's why i watched the video and i don't care about it but for shorts i think it really depends on the formats and i think that this will differ from the ones we already know yeah and of course this will also influence the cpm they can get advertisers to pay on the platform because of course the ads have a different reach then and this in the end will well come down <laughs> to the creators fund that uh, creators get paid out on so in the end i think whatever path this will go down um the creators will pay for it yeah <laughs> at yeah. the end always now when the i creators. think about it yeah <laughs> then henrike with rocket lab yes so second space content <laughs> today um rocket lab um is uh i think a uh, space company from new zealand or australia um i think new zealand not sure at least they launched their uh rockets down there um and with regards to sustainability in the space industry this uh, also is quite uh, fitting because they worked on a method to save their boosters after launch to make them reusable just like spacex but other than the spacex boosters who land like automatically on a platform in the ocean or on land they catch the falling rocket with a helicopter i mean the headline says it all already but i think this is quite a interesting and funny approach like when you think about it it's also like challenging to, to think like how this you know the booster still has a quite a lot of speed when it comes down they use parachutes to slow it down um but still like the helicopter comes from above and catching it kind of from above while it still falls down and then brings it back to the land. Um, uh, yeah, uh, just fascinating kind of. And they um, tested it last uh, end of last month. Um, so probably last week somewhere. And um, they, in the article, they gave an update that they actually successfully catched it, um, but they had to release it again because somehow the data was like, um, uh, they noticed some deviations compared to the tests that they did. So the pilot had to release again. Um, but um, I mean, they succeeded and they just worked on it for three years. So this is also quite uh, interesting how, how fast they came up with, you know, like a prototype that is actually working. Um, but, but yeah, uh, th this 
the kind the solution in itself is is uh, I don't know simple but I don't know fascinating. There is a video in this article that shows one of the tests. Please, I'm not the not the one from last week, but um, one of the test catches, so to say. I think that's that one. I think you can scroll to the back. So there are the two helicopters. Um, then you can see how they release the booster before they catch it again while it's falling down. Oh, so now they released it. So it uses a parachute yes. and is then collected by helicopter or is it caught? In yeah. Yeah. So do you see the parachute there? Yeah, and then there okay. is mm -hmm. like a, like this thingy on top of the parachute, which then connects with the system that is uh, at the helicopter. And so they kind of catch it in the air. Ah, I see. They, the fake booster didn't fall from space, I see, <laughs> from another helicopter. No, it, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to test somehow, right? <laughs> yeah. It's too crowded up there for, for, for real-life testing. <laughs> but I mean, the real-life test, it worked somehow, not, not 100% successfully, yeah. but... Um, Yeah. If they only work three years on this, uh, I mean, you know, give them another one and uh, they are still much faster than most of the other space startups we've been talking about in the past. So pretty impressive, actually. And I mean, look at look at the resources SpaceX needed to create a successful landing of the booster. Yeah. If it's actually called a landing, I don't know <laughs> if this is the right wording, but um, I mean, Yeah, and, and this is like really a really pragmatic method to take care of this problem. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and you wonder like why, like why make it complicated? <laughs> Apparently, you can make it as easy as that. Um, it, yeah. It's it's pretty. I mean, it's similar to the space hook method do you do you know this this idea of a space hook shooting stuff into space and that's why and reducing launch cost by i think 80 percent or something like that it's a very pragmatic method as well to shoot stuff into space and it's a, i mean it's the same concept uh, very interesting but you're not yeah i mean didn't we had that a couple of weeks uh, a month ago uh, also in tech review the this one the that thing. is kind of The like spinning the, thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Or is it another one that you talk about, Vincent? No, no, no. It's, it's exactly that. It's oh, this thing. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I remember this. This thing rotating very, very strongly and then yeah. shooting something in yeah. space. Except uh, and not using this whole <laughs> booster rolling kind of <laughs> technology stuff. Yeah. Interesting. This thing. I mean, yeah, that, it doesn't work for like all you know like sure. uh, sizes of, of rockets and and <laughs> payload etc yeah i think But you can't like shoot like people smoking. in this <laughs> no it's also yeah it's not for men <laughs> for crude space flight i yeah. mean you have to try at least once but <laughs> i mean But it's the same now with this i mean it's it doesn't work for every payload it doesn't work for i mean We're probably not talking about Saturn V going to moon here type of rockets falling from the sky and being catched. But I mean, talking about the 100,000 satellites yeah. from before, 
because I mean, how actually, many launches will, yeah, yeah cuz actually they work together with uh, Rocket Lab. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> they actually launched their uh, I think also last week or something they launched their first test uh, satellites with Rocket Lab. So Yeah. Yeah, they work together. Full circle. <laughs> but but this way of innovation, I think it's really ironic because the earliest the earliest versions of science fiction of spacecraft was always this cannon shooting people to the moon or rockets to the moon and yeah we are using cannons and so going back to this original design it's so elegant to simply shoot stuff into space yeah of course it's not compatible with astronauts for example but as you said if, if the plan is to fire a hundred thousand satellites into space it would be so convenient simply having like this rocket launcher shooting and shooting and shooting yeah or maybe even these clean up satellites that are only there to clean up space debris you can shoot them up they're collecting stuff and they are coming down being caught by helicopters or maybe even landing by themselves or something like that so this could be a real cool yeah. system of inconveniently going to space clean up and come back recycle right. recycling kind of method yeah 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 <laughs> cradle to cradle in space yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool yeah and i also I love think we that we need a uh, synthetic sorry yeah no i just want to say i love that, that, that more and more we have these uh, articles about the private space industry and startups doing stuff with satellites and space deb debris and, and these things flying to the moon right flying to the mars okay we have one last article yes Uh, I took that one. This is about a few fintechs, but I'm only going to talk about the first one. It's called Bolt. Um, and I actually uh, read another article talking about the same stuff, but it's from the information, which has a very, very, very unsatisfying paywall. Um, and therefore, I used TechCrunch uh, to get there. So Bolt is about is a startup that actually is quite smart. It's comparable to another tech fintech. I don't know if you know Fast. And both of the startups do the same thing. It's really cool. They redesign checkouts on commerce. Uh, so you don't have to log in. You don't have to uh, leave your credit card information somewhere and save it. And you're not quite sure is this safe enough or not. Um, so these, these startups, they created a software that works with an open API. You can integrate or, well, I mean, for commercial use, obviously you have to pay for it, but With partner partners can in integrate this via an API, and this connects via a very safe connection with the server of the startup, and um, creates a Apple Pay kind of checkout where you just, you know, click the product you want, and then or you select the product you want, and then click, just click Pay, and another pop-up will open um, that actually holds all your payment information already and you click on pay and that's it and um, well this article actually deals about how bold right now is under pressure from big players like uh, PayPal and Shopify because of course they see this opportunity coming up that people want fast checkouts that actually are people are much more likely to you know uh, pay for stuff it is fast and very convenient hence Apple pay hence Samsung Pay, I've never used it, so please, you know. Um, Android Pay, Samsung Pay, I'm sorry, Android Pay, I'm working an update, Samsung. Um, <laughs> anyways, this is where I wanted to get, because I'm thinking Axel Springer uh, is 
like the lobbyist for not collecting data and you know offering fair price products to their customers and non-profiling not a non cookie based kind of advertising all of this stuff that's like really big words we always use in our business so my question now is all our services require an account why not change that why not integrate something like bold fast may it be paypal i mean i don't care or shopify or anything else because i'm sure there are 10 more startups i don't know uh which do the same thing but why not do this and make checkout all in all of our brands much more convenient because in the end this is what we do i mean we don't collect data so why not integrate this everywhere uh because customer first yeah, I could imagine that um, at some point of time, I'm not sure if, if this startup will actually accomplish this, um, there will be this disruptive force where one player manages to gather the big platforms, I, I don't know, um, like everyone who, who matters, and uh, starts this this driving force of unifying everything, and then everyone has to like jump on, on, the, on the moving train. Yeah, Because you're totally right, especially now that, we are entering the age of maybe the one or the other cryptocurrency will also be part of the payment process uh, somewhere um, that it really becomes inconvenient to have these these many choices and, and options. And I mean, on, on the one hand, um, it's cool if I have a vendor who simply offers 10 or 20 different ways of, of payment, but at some point of time, it's it's not feasible anymore for the platforms to actually maintain this landscape and so having something like this this unifying one click checkout uh yeah why not bold yeah i have to check on on this one yeah, they actually they actually lost a lot of uh, so they're uh, also unicorn that lost a lot of value in the past few months because shopify and paypal yeah. are getting stronger with their one click pay uh, checkout and uh, also their founder is kind of weird but um <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's it's what I don't know the industry says. Um, I'm just quoting here, <laughs> and, but um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's and confusing it's, that they have the same name as the um, the both yeah, the poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. they should think about changing their name. I don't know because I uh, the others were there first, right? <laughs> People probably I mean, associate bold with the e-scooters and. And the or is it like the the car ride sharing thing, right? It's both, yeah. Both, yeah. Yeah, it 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 might get problematic uh, on different markets. It might be that in the US they might have secured that name, but the moment they go into other countries, it might be that they have to then locally change it to something else because both is already claimed. I mean, we don't know if this startup will actually make it, um, <laughs> but, so maybe this problem will will resolve itself uh, with PayPal just, you know, integrating this as a mandatory step in every PayPal website, yeah. good partner website. We'll see. <laughs> right. Okay, that was a nice closing statement. Fintech. We, I think, we are not talking so so often about fintech, right? Even though the space is Never. huge and no. also growing. I mean, always uh, like cryptocurrencies. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, even though in a very small round, thank you very much um, for all the nice articles. Um, I'm always looking forward to this next time again with Chris. And for all the thousands of listeners who are listeners and viewers who, who are um, watching us right now, uh, on 1st of June, we will be streaming live from the TechCon, like a major technology conference here in Germany. <laughs> And we will be on, on the main stage. We will sit sit on the main stage and uh, do a live broadcasting from there, uh, like a regular tech review, but from this big stage. And I'm really, really looking forward to this event um, and to see if we can actually pull it off to do this live stream live on stage with a live studio, not studio audience, like conference audience yeah, on the main stage will be really amazing it's the first time we will do that in person again after like three years yeah you are right. i don't know i didn't even <laughs> think about that that yes you are right it, it will be the first time that we do this in person yeah since 2020 uh, 2019 maybe so the only no 2019 yeah. i think yeah oh man <laughs> the only question that's left is if we get uh, the tech con sweaters that's uh, something we'll have to tr to figure out that's true. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you very much uh, for your contributions. And I'm looking forward to the next time to episode 25. And until then, have a nice evening. Now that we are again in the same time zone, I can say have a nice evening for me the same. <laughs> you too. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that we here at Tech Review want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope this new episode was valuable for you and if it was, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us right now. Share this episode with others who could also like it. Do you have a topic that you'd like to see covered in future episodes? Don't hesitate to tell us in the comments or on social media. We hope you'll be back for the next episode.